You ready? Yeah. You're comfortable? Comfortable. And we're recording. All right. Don't you start it out? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see if I can make you uncomfortable. <laughs> Welcome to Ordinary to Extraordinary. I have another guest host uh, this week who we've had on the podcast before. I'm kind of going over old ground. Last week I had Jonathan Bingle. Uh, this week I'm recording with Brian Scott. Happy Veterans Day, although that's not really a thing you wish somebody happy, but um, you're a veteran. Today's Veterans Day. Oh, sure, Coincidentally, yeah. we're recording. Um, congratulations on your girls winning their way to state, by the way, the Elite Eight. Brian also coaches high school soccer. Um, and this was actually he was the genesis for this i did not reach out about this you you approached me about recording so frame it what did you come to me and ask me at the gym the other day yeah i wanted to well someone had said something to you and i think we do this as friends we bug each other about whatever funny things we can get a shot in about someone said uh, so you're extraordinary yet and and I, I was thinking about that, and it didn't bother me other than, you know, it's got me thinking about what does that mean to be extraordinary? And I think there's the obvious answers, you know, the, the superstars of the world that are really good at one thing, that stand out above the rest in one thing. And so I started thinking about what it meant. Uh, one of the things was, well, you could be extraordinarily bad too, like evil people, right? That is extraordinary, <laughs> right? So you got to kind of define things like, in this case, for good, you know, what about you is extraordinarily good? And I was thinking about other extraordinary people that I've met that I thought were good that later weren't, like, you know, four-star generals that maybe ended up, you know, involved in some sort of sexual assault or something that person to me is no longer um, no longer allowed to have the title of extraordinary. You, you did something cool, but you're also equally bad. So it's kind of like, a, for me, a, like a total person concept. And it doesn't mean that, you know, good people can't screw up and, and get back on the horse or whatever. I don't mean anything like that, but it definitely makes you more ordinary, you know, when you screw up. I think anybody has a tough, any any one like us that isn't like setting NBA or Premier League records of, with scoring feels kind of ordinary at times, you know, because we might do some ordinary things and appear ordinary. But I was thinking about you specifically because you ha you actually have do a lot of unique things. So, and then I thought of other people that I thought actually do a lot of unique things that if you just looked at them at one point in time in the day they would look very ordinary <laughs> and then I started getting into this whole philosophical thing because this is where our, my family is uh, my son you know he 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 wants philosophy books for Christmas you know it's, it's, he's, he's an odd duck you know he's like read Marcus Aurelius and and uh, Thomas Aquinas and he loves that so he gets I've always considered myself a uh, very amateur philosopher, but he takes it to the next level and makes me think about things. He calls me every day. We talk every day and about different things. It could be anything from, uh, you know, video gaming to soccer to just pontificating on something. Um, so he gets me going sometimes. And I started thinking about, all right, philosophically, how do you define extraordinary? 
you know, how would you do, how would, how would I do it anyways? The, the, and so you have to recognize what ordinary is, right? And then you have to, there needs to be a range. It's not just black and white. You know, it's easy to look at Michael Jordan and say he's extraordinary. Um, but Michael Jordan, as, you know, a youth basketball player, no one was like, oh, look, that person's extraordinary. It was a collection. It was a body of work. And then also doing other things outside of um, basketball that make him a little bit unique as well. Um, but then there's other people that I think never reach that massive threshold but do so many different things, you know, and that's where I was thinking of you and actually some people at work in little old Reardon, Washington, that I'm like, that person's kind of extraordinary. I mean, they're, they're doing, and I'm going to get into my example here in a minute, but they're doing things that uh, a lot of people couldn't do just because of their volume of determination in multiple areas or whatever. And so it becomes extraordinary at some point. You know, when I look at someone and say, there's no way I could do that, it becomes a little extraordinary. But it, it's too hard for me to make that leap. So I had to put in another one. It, I told you before the podcast, maybe maybe it's start the lowest level of this is I, I don't want to use the word mundane because that is kind of negative. Uh, but I would use the word content. And I think at some point, all of us will maybe, or most of us will live out our last days content, not doing anything extraordinary, you know, maybe happy to just be sitting around having a cup of coffee, enjoying the morning, right? Um, So there's nothing wrong with being content. In fact, that in and of itself is probably amazing to happen for people nowadays, you know. But then there's content. Then there is certainly ordinary and average, you know, where you might do a few cool things, you might, um, you know, have one or two things you're a little bit good at, um, but then, really, amongst other, if you put your body of work together and compared it to everybody else's body of work, it's it's pretty average, pretty ordinary, and there's nothing wrong with that either, right? You know, living an ordinary life sometimes that's what celebrities would want the most, right? They're they're tired of being extraordinary; they just want to be ordinary. So there's nothing wrong with that. And then you can't, still can't jump, in my mind, to extraordinary. You have to go, there needs to be a little, like, a place I think most of us would put ourselves, you know, because extraordinary is like you've arrived. But really, after listening to your podcast and talking with you, it's, this is about a journey, right? Mm-hmm. A journey to that place that maybe other people start to see you or someone else is a little bit extraordinary. And so that, that middle gap might be... Uh, that middle definition could be, I don't know, um, you might have to help me with a word here, but maybe um, unique or um, special is a little too strong, but but something, you know, something that's not, we people aren't going to say, oh, that's extraordinary, you know, intellectual honesty, right? You know, not overstating things. Yeah. So you unpacked a lot there. Normally it doesn't take somebody 10 minutes to frame it. And I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad words. thing. <laughs> it wasn't ten minutes either. But you touched on a few things there. First off, I think I must have touched a nerve when I eg- explained to you the example of people that will joke about what I do, right? Because do the podcast and Ben and I used to get the question all the time, like, "Are you extraordinary yet?" And it's like, "Well, actually, yeah, dickhead, <laughs> um, we are in certain ways." Um, then there's the I think traditional it's one of the it's one of the easier words to break down the etymology of it it's two words smushed together right extra and ordinary mm-hmm. so 
extraordinary means that you've got ordinary and you're doing more than that you're doing something special you said special i don't think that's a bad um a bad way to describe it a special quality something extremely good um you know above and beyond even if you wanted to to kind of go there and i've right. always said to to go the extra mile it's not really a mile it's just do more than the person that's the best and it seems like a lot initially but once you build the routines and the the, the pathways to to make good habits towards it it's not a lot and often you can find efficiencies that improve you as a person improve whatever you're doing right and you and i have talked about this a lot with your military background um when you say to a military man this is military grade they cringe but the general public are like oh wow that must be good right and it's not to say that our military don't have good gear but (laughs) it's the military's always trying to improve things so just because it's military grade it's like well was it military grade five years ago or is it military grade now because it's always changing the technology's always changing how they do it how they deploy it all of this right sure and you can't you can't overlook the massive quantities of military grade failures too yeah (laughs) but for me the definition of extraordinary is and this sounds kind of cheesy when you when you say it but when you actually break it down there's more to it are you trying to be better today than you were yesterday to me that's extraordinary i don't want to ever be content i don't ever want to just be mundane if i go a week without learning if i go a week without progressing something or working on some kind of project that makes me and the people around me better that's a wasted week as far as i'm concerned because none of us are promised next week right yeah I, i would agree with that just because most people don't have the mindset to be better tomorrow than you are today and that's okay that's content and what and maybe you don't need to be right and i mean it's not for everybody trying to push yourselves into new new areas or whatever um and and we need a certain we need a lot of the populace to be content that's important mm-hmm. but i do think that when you when you talk about people that strive or or trying something new or trying to really perfect a single skill right mm-hmm. like golfers you know that's probably the that's why I don't golf. It's probably the single most. Fru- it looks like the single most frustrating thing you could do because you're it is. you'll be so and it takes so much time and work and technical and the mentality and I mean I respect golfers very much, but it it just to me that 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 a golfer would have to have that mindset. You know, if I went out every day thinking I was going to golf the same thing or worse as the day before, I don't think I would go out. And maybe that's why I don't. Yeah, you shouldn't play golf. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you play soccer and you've had shitty days in soccer and gone no, out. I'm always amazing at yeah. soccer. Yeah, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's a concept for you. And I believe Ben and I talked about this. I don't know where it came from. It was me or him that that might have coined the phrase but what about the term happily discontent and i'll break that down for you a little bit because i see you looking off in the distance and trying to process that that's how i would describe myself i'm extremely like overall i love what i do love my life the people in it but i'm always striving for more so that's a discontent part but i'm happily discontent in that i'm not ever going to settle i'm not ever like i've made it I'm not going to say I can't get better, I can't grow, I can't help people around me grow, I can't help people around me get better. Um, 
so I'm I like the con the concept of happily discontent, and I think that's what that's extraordinary, and that most people can't take two converging ideas like that, happy and discontent, and find put them together and go, yeah, that that suits me. Yeah, I think that's a good description. And uh, you know, another one is um, I appreciate the struggle. You know, it, whether it's a simple thing like like without gravity lifting weights wouldn't get you anywhere, right? You know, you have to have that resistance. And I think humans do best. Like, even even as a populace, some of our greatest moments were some of our greatest struggles, right? You know, when you look back to, you know, coming out of the Depression to, well, let's go all the way back to as a nation, you know, our, our revolution, you know, our struggle to maintain that, wars of 1812, go on and on and on. And so, you know, it was the struggles that kind of made the nation great. And I think it's the same thing with individuals. And I've tried to teach my kids that too. And, and fortunately, they picked it up better than I could ever teach it. But they all strive to, to do well in whatever their areas are. And all of them like to do things in multiple areas too, which I think is also important. Because I think, again, getting back to the definition of extraordinary, we like to be very myopic and find that one thing person to a, a person does and if they're not great at one thing that sets them above all the rest at that one thing then they aren't extraordinary whereas I would say you know someone who now I'm getting into examples and maybe maybe it'd be cool to invite people that see themselves as, as average to this mm -hmm. but point out to them why they are extraordinary you know, because it's like, no, you're, you, I don't think you realize how, and I'm, I'm going to use my example of the person at work. So this individual, I didn't ask if I could talk about her or anything, but this individual um, actually graduated from Reardon High School, works there as our, um, like, front office secretary, runs the ASB club. Um, What's uh, ASB? Uh, Associated Student Body, you know, runs that volunteers all the time, like makes quilts for graduating seniors, does pins. I mean, like, I don't even know if this person has found a way to fold space and time to get all this done. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, seriously. And, and so I, I look at that, uh, has an awesome family. Her kids go there. Uh, her husband's totally cool. He's like an environmental scientist. And but they live on a farm, and so they have this whole farming thing going on, which is a lot of work for families. I mean, just farming alone, never mind doing all this other stuff. And then they do trap. They they plan this travel trips with their kids, and I just don't know how a person has that much energy. Um, and extremely positive, extremely funny. All right, so. Any one of those things, you know, whether it's quilting or making buttons or doing all these other things that they do for the school, um, wouldn't be extraordinary. You know, I'd be like, yeah, lots of people do that. But when you put it all together, it starts to become extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you look at the quality of their kids and they're super, po you know, it's just all there. And so to me, that is uh, a body of work that becomes extraordinary. I've met a lot of people in the military like that too. Like you just see them as rank, whatever, and whoever. But when you, when you peer into their lives through like Facebook or something like that, um, and you see all these other cool things they're doing out on the side, then they start to become, in my mind, extraordinary. And never mind that there's some military members that, you know, in my mind, reach hero status because of things they do, they do just in the military. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Can I ask the the lady you referenced, the the secretary at the school? I just I just said a weird word, secretary. Um, I added a couple extra syllables there. I think. Um, <laughs> That's okay. You call it aluminium too, if right? Aluminium. That's that's <laughs> how it's supposed to be said. <laughs> if you were to ask her, "Hey, do you think you're extraordinary?" No. I bet she's extraordinarily humble, yeah. and doesn't think anything of all these things she does, right? Right. But like you said, from the outside looking in, you see it, and you're like, "Wow, you're doing X, Y, Z as well as this." And how do you, like you said, how do you fit this in? Absolutely. I Um, mean, she helps with technology when things are going sideways and we're setting up things. It just, there's no um, sphere that that this individual won't jump into. And so, and her kids are the same way and so is her husband. You know, it's kind of, it's really cool. But I I guess one of the things I've noticed about everybody who's extraordinary that that I know, and I've, I've known a lot, there's always a humility there's always they're always humble and and often unaware of the full impact of their actions and and how appreciated things like that are um you know and and that's why again going back to the genesis of this when i explained to you that a lot of people kind of scoff i often think that that's a shame for for those kinds of people the people that scoff at oh you're doing a podcast called ordinary to extraordinary you think you're better than no i don't but clearly you're not comfortable with what you're doing there's there's things that you need to improve there's things that this makes you uncomfortable for some reason let's talk about it how can you get better how can you grow how can you be extraordinary maybe you are extraordinary in one or two elements but how do you grow overall um and i look at it from i talked about the I look at it from this this perspective as well. I talked about waking up every day and saying, hey, how can I be better than yesterday? And when you say that to people, they get this picture in their mind of waking up early, going to the gym every day, never sitting down, never having a day in your PJs watching the TV. And it's like, no, I still do that. You still do that. But that can be improvement as well because you've realized that you need a rest. You've realized you need a day like that. It's not every day. It's certainly not a regular day. Um, but there's more to it than that as well, the different facets of your life. So I look at it from, have I left a good legacy everywhere I've been? Probably not. I've, I've made some missteps, right? And I've yeah, made some mistakes well, that for sure. I've left a bad taste in people's mouths, right or wrong. I might have been right. They might have been right. Either way to walk away from situations like the soccer stuff. I know there's people in the soccer world that have a distaste for me, but I know the people that matter in the soccer world know what I stand for, how I stood for it, and why I walked away, right? I bring that up regularly. Um, and then... But you're kind of back in it. <laughs> kind of. You're helping. But every day, I also want to close my eyes at the end of the day exhausted and I'm I'm troubled when I've not achieved anything throughout a day. And it's it's hard when you're a reflective person because often you can't see what you've done to be extraordinary within that day, but then you're looking forward and most people can't even see themselves successful, can't even see what better is because they're so mired down in the right now. And I think extraordinary people, for the most part, always look for the next thing what's better what's next what's what's coming how can i prepare for it how can i be ready for it how can i how can i get ahead of it 
right? And I'll tie this back to, I love Spokane. I love the people I know and, and, and have met here. But I'm buggering off to St. Petersburg, Florida in about five weeks. Is it five weeks? Yeah. So the week before Christmas, I'm going to be gone. But when other people have reservations about that, I, ca I can't process it. I'm like, why Why would I be nervous about this? I don't understand it. I'm not wired that way. I'm excited about it. Well, I think that's some of your background, too. Uh, you know, like, if someone were to ask me if you were extraordinary, um, first of all, I'd say, no, you're <laughs> Yeah, he's an correct. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> an extraordinary asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh, no, I, I, you know, I would describe... I think not everybody knows all your dimensions either. I think I know probably as well as anybody because um, obviously you've, we've, been, we've hung out since you started coaching my kid. And I, that's what I liked about you at first was just kind of your leadership, your style. You had a group of misfit kids that you turned from the bad news bears into a winning team. See, to me, that is more amazing than inherit joining a big club inheriting a whole bunch of Spokane's finest athletes and then saying you won some games, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm pretty sure a cart horse could do that, you know, yeah. in most situations. But uh, but that was what impressed me with you. I mean, you had 12 kids on the team, one of which was working full-time. And so that, I remember that guy was hardly there, but you turned him into a what he needed to be as a forward when he was there and, you know, 12 he, kids showing He's a up. local business owner now, by the way. He owns a restaurant out in the valley. Yeah, that's very Fernando. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, uh, super cool. And so you, you were just able to tap in, and so I watched that. I've way modified my coaching based off what I saw you do because I, I had coached for a long time. I started coaching in high school on my little brother's rec team, you know, and uh, – so you were the first person I came across where it's like, I really want to modify my style to be more like that, you know, less less yelling and excitement. It took me a while. You don't change overnight. I mean, it took me years to actually get to where I think I wanted to be, where I am now. That's just on the coaching side. But so I saw that, and I was like, this guy's unique, you know, and he talks funny. So <laughs> I'm not unique because I talk funny. I'm <laughs> unique and I talk funny. No, you're unique <laughs> for a lot of funny reasons. I don't know where to start. But then you, uh, if you, if then your background was interesting to me. You know, you came over from Scotland. You're like, hey, I love my country, but I want to be a U.S. citizen. And so that's where I think it's not foreign to you when so, or it's so foreign to you when someone doesn't recognize you're just going to Florida you've already gone across the Atlantic and changed homes so this is like nothing right mm -hmm. and uh, and so but then if people knew and, and I don't you, you can edit this part out but if people knew how you have changed your income alone because that's unfortunately that's like most people's measure of extraordinary in the mainstream you know how much money do you make right and and to me that's it's not ever been relevant I haven't ever really focused on money it's other things that are important but um, but that alone has been pretty cool watching you turn that around from a from a starving soccer coach to basically someone who's financially independent and could retire in a couple of years, you mm -hmm. know, you probably could retire now if you wanted to really, but yeah. you know, having a million dollars worth of assets, but still driving around that old Volks, what red Volkswagen and you finally got a new car. So people actually might think you're extraordinary now because <laughs> you finally bought a new car, <laughs> but you live in an apartment, you know, you, you just, the, 
showing your wealth wasn't important to you, right? It never will be. No, I, and I know that. And so, uh, so people would see you and be like, you know, oh, he's not extraordinary. But I'm like, well, he has an extraordinary bank account. That that's different. Um, you're in the top probably 1% of the nation, 2% maybe. Uh, let's not go that far. <laughs> I don't know. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of people that are way, way, way above me. Well, um, and maybe it's because you live humbly that, it, you know, it, it looks different. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, for compared to most 40, well, you're 40 now? Mm-hmm. Welcome to old life. Yeah. yeah. So uh, compared to most 40-year-olds, you are super financially well off um, for sure. And you have, you know, no debt in and lots of assets. Um, anyway, so I am, I would say that is another component of your life where, yeah, okay, let's not call you extraordinary financially, but you're, you're doing really well. So you do really well in coaching, you do really well in um, finances, uh, you're certainly into self-betterment, you're in the gym every day. I see you at, now that I'm working out in a gym again, because um, I don't have a workout room at home anymore. Uh, I see you there. You're you're lifting hard five days a week, um, six days a week. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're gonna. I almost I work out six days a week. <laughs> I only rest on Sundays. So, but uh, so y- y- then that adds to the dimension of it. Uh, the fact you are moving to St. Petersburg. The fact you've built your own business and you do all these other things. And anywhere we go, you know, s- s- you know people. So um, you're you're socially you know, out, you put yourself out there a lot socially. I mean, even doing this podcast, right? So it, it starts to become extraordinary pretty quick. If, if the, anybody who came up to you said, are you extraordinary uh, yet? You could flip that question back and you could compare categories of things you're doing. Yeah. And, and it would be, and that's, this is, I know you're not about this. I know I'm kind of watching you squirm a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I think you would map out pretty well. Um, to the, what I would consider ordinary people. So, um, anyway, so you're another example, obviously. Uh, so you got the secretary, you got you. Um, another example I would give is my dad, you know? Everybody your dad's loves amazing. Their dad, yeah, you know? No, your dad truly is amazing, though. Yeah, I mean, um, he wouldn't consider himself extraordinary at all. He um, would probably say he's done some extraordinary things, but, you know, he, he was in the guard. Um, he started out, you know, living in a $60 a month apartment with my mom, 20 years old. She was pregnant. He was, uh, barely with me, (laughs) by, uh, um, they were barely getting by. They got their first coffee table from the dump and painted it black. And we had that coffee table forever, but he knew he was going to do something. So he ends up becoming a pilot, you know, fighter pilot early on, but he's in the guard, so you're not making lots of money. And when he was in his t- late 20s, he ended up becoming the corporate pilot for Avista. You know, uh, it took him almost 10 years to finish his degree from Eastern Washington University because he was, um, and back then it was like just a small commuter mm-hmm. college. Um, he, he was so busy, you know, trying to do all these different things, and, but doing very ordinary things in each ca- category. And now he has his own Cessna that he flies over, uh, flies all over the wilderness of Idaho to go fly fishing with. It's age 70, you know, 70, actually, I think he's older than 70, but, uh, you know, early 70s. And he's flying all over the Northwest to go fly fishing. Um, Sometimes him and his uh, uh, 
buddy John Hartnett, who's also he's a retired general. Actually, they were they flew together. They were just buddies. Now they have a plane together, and they do all these cool things that, uh, you know, to us f certainly seem extraordinary. To another pilot, probably oh, that's not so extraordinary. But then when you consider he's refinishing his own wood boat, you know, he builds houses, he maintains our cabins, and does all this work, and um, you know, travels around, and you know, his kids, you know, went on to do some pretty cool things. You know, my sister's a C-17 pilot. Um, you know, my little brothers uh, uh, went from just getting a forestry degree at Idaho to back to welding school to become a building inspector. Um, and my other sisters, a, uh, they're all more, su more successful than I am. I don't my know about that. A principal, you know, she was a principal yeah. by the time she was like 28, you know? So, I mean, that's all my dad and mom. And I say that that is extraordinary. And, and the list is much longer than that. I was going to say, you left a lot of shit out there. Yeah, your yeah. dad's done, plus he and I like kicking your ass at cribbage. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think Brian's won one time out of a hundred when he's played me or his dad at cribbage. I'm um, extraordinarily <laughs> awful at all card games, but gambling, no, I mean, anything. You didn't talk about the fact that your dad flew in the first Gulf War. Like, saw action in the first Gulf War. Like, major action. Like, he was right in the middle of that shit, right? Well, they, yeah, they fortunately, I mean, we had air superiority, so they weren't sure what the... It, I, if you go back in time, we thought we were going to... He flew tankers at the time, not fighters. He was out of the fighter business, but... Um, we thought we were going to lose about 30% of our tankers because they're sitting, they're flying gas stations, right? They have very little mm -hmm. defensive capabilities. Um, so you're relying on airborne, airborne warning and command system, you know, the big domes that sit on to, to protect you. And so even with all that we thought we had, we thought we we're going to lose 30%. And in the end, you know, we had instant air superiority, and he was safe, and everybody came home um, from the Gulf War, from the unit. And so it turned out to not be quite as scary as what they thought going in. Yeah, and to to touch on the Avista stuff, if, if anybody's listening that doesn't know what Avista is, maybe your East Coast here in the States or in Scotland, it's one of the major utility companies here. They provide electricity to basically the whole West Coast. Um, they're a... Uh, They've got everything from wind to traditional nuclear to all kinds of power, but their corporate jets, if they still have them, they used to fly yeah. all over the place. They, um, have, they have one jet. They've had they've had several models. They had a Sabre mm -hmm. liner, then a Citation 7. They've gone through different types of leasing. And the reason is, because people are always like, oh, man, my rates are so high because of the, the jet. Um, really, this thing flies into places the airlines don't go because they have holdings everywhere, like in yeah. small towns Rural. like Coal Strip, Montana, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get an executive there by by airline yeah. and then putting them up in a hotel till you can get them there. It, it always, my dad always had to justify that. Mm -hmm. But that was part of what was neat because in a small run, uh, corporate environment, he had to do everything. Like mm -hmm. they scheduled the maintenance. They were the the actual uh, schedulers for um, the flights. You know, he was constant constantly doing the budget. It, it was basically like, basically like you're running your own airline of one, and you're the person doing it. Him and of course his co-pilot. Yeah. Well, what, the reason I brought that up is um, I've been blessed to talk with current and former executives from Avista 
uh, people that are very well connected both here and like I said all over the east the west coast sorry and the unique connection with you and your dad when I bring your dad up they're like oh I remember flying with Brian and they've all got stories about him and they all love him which again is extraordinary right when, is, when no yeah. one has a bad thing to say about someone and I've prodded him I'm like you can tell me the truth and <laughs> obviously you say that in jest but I know some of them well enough that if there was anything bad they would tell me and there isn't um, and they've also told me some stories about uh, interesting landings when your dad was flying and how he was able to basically keep people the, alive those two <laughs> words are scary to a pilot yeah <laughs> <laughs> well he's your dad's told me some some scary stories as well like of course, you yeah. know um, we're talking landing whether it's under fire but obviously not with a vista or yeah, landing, days. Yeah. landing with faulty equipment and such and you still find a way to put it down put that bird down easy and and get everybody off alive yeah no you probably said you want your takeoffs to equal your landings at the end of it at all and then you've done well yes yeah, and net zero he's he's a few behind right <laughs> yeah that's right um, actually well they're still landings they're just <laughs> yeah, some were <laughs> more controlled than others. <laughs> so yeah, I th that's a good way to look at it. It should be a net zero. <laughs> right. Plus one, minus one. Plus one, minus one. I like that. No, I um I appreciate you chatting about this. I, you know, I think often extraordinary is uh, underused. I don't think we recognize enough people that truly are extraordinary. We and don't want it to be so broad that mm -hmm. everybody's extraordinary, right? Yeah. I yeah. just I just thought that we need a little more. Um, there's more to it than having the obvious sports athlete mm -hmm. be extraordinary. And we also, in, in today's society, more so, I feel like, than ever before, we also tend to recognize non-extraordinary people thinking that they're extraordinary right. and I'll, I'll point to a lot of politicians here I'm not saying they're bad people necessarily I'm just saying that they're not extraordinary um, you know the the role models that we set that our, our kids and, and young people now are choosing versus the way we chose role models is different we're not talking Michael Jordan on a Wheaties box we're talking about somebody shaking their ass and talking about F and this and F and that and that that's all fun at the right times but I don't think that's what we should be aspiring to be like and and we're moving in that direction there's also something i talked about a few weeks ago where um i talked about ethics a couple of weeks ago um which is always an interesting subject but it's i brought up i brought up non-profits and there's one locally here that literally has awards called the philanthropy awards which to me is a complete oxymoron it's like you don't you're not philanthropic to get an award like that literally pisses all over people that, you know, anybody that knows me knows that my background is Catholic. I'm not the most religious person, but there's a there's a scripture about it where they talk about there's a lady and she gives everything she's got, which is much less than what the wealthy people give. And the preacher back in the Bible basically said um, she gave more because she gave everything mm -hmm. you have it to give but yet and you have more to give but you don't therefore and we're talking financially obviously but i look at it from the perspective of just because wealthy millionaire billionaire whatever he is she is decides to write a check for 
$20,000, that doesn't mean that they're giving more than the person that's putting in sweat equity and spending time in the food bank. And I'm being very generic yeah, here. I think of people that like join the Peace but, Corps yeah. and like literally dedicate their lives like, to... But the whole concept of a philanthropy award to me is despicable. It's like you are, this is the scummiest thing you can do. This is horrible. And yeah, they should be recognized, but they shouldn't be recognized publicly and it shouldn't be, look at this, they earned this much and gave this much and it, it, it disgusts me. So I think, um, you know. That's also in scripture too. Yeah. Where, you know, hey, are you doing it for you? To look look at me, I'm mm -hmm. giving, or are you the person that gives silently without anyone knowing? Yeah, you know, th there's lots of philosophy involved with that. I think that uh, the yeah, I can see the the oxymoron there, philanthropic award. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're getting something, but you're supposed to be giving, right? Yeah. Well, I'm actually since since I have the internet in front of me, let's look up philanthropy because. I want to see what the actual if if there's something within the definition that the desire to promote the welfare of others expressed especially by the generous donation of money to good causes. So, I don't know. I guess yeah. it, it. I thought there might be something that excludes the the it recognition mean you're piece. Not, maybe by the definition, it does. Well, you know, I mean, everything has perspective, and maybe by for you, for Stephen Brown, you like the philanthropist that don't want to take credit for it. That just, you appreciate that level of philanthropy more than someone who says, hey, look, I wrote this big check and I'm going to get this award for it. Yeah. It, uh, look, if I, I write some checks to charities and if they came to me and said, hey, we want to recognize you, I'd be like, no chance. So, right. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would say that's an ethically superior perspective, right? Yeah, well... It doesn't. It doesn't mean to you and me, maybe, but to others, maybe not. I don't. Well, know. I mean, it doesn't make the other bad, though. So, like, you use stronger terms than I would use. Like you said, it's the the worst thing. I, I, I wouldn't say that, I, but I I think it takes away from it. Again, you go to the total body work. Is it better than someone who is a billionaire and doesn't donate twenty thousand dollars? Absolutely. Is it still above the line as far as good things you can do? Absolutely. But the person that does it silently. I don't. I don't know that anyone would argue with the ethics of that, but there's also there's also like you know if you're given money because it makes you feel good, does that make you less philanthropic? I, you know, because you're doing it for some for a reason because yeah. it makes you feel good. And I don't do it because it makes me feel good. I don't I'd, know. I'd, I'd, I'd do it when I see a need. I mean, it, it probably does make me feel good, but it's not the driving force. Yeah. Um, it's I, I just, yeah, it's just a question. But the other thing for me is to be a true philanthropist, you have to give time because time's the most valuable resource any of us have. I um, agree with that. You know, it's literally the only finite thing that we have. Um, and that's another reason that to go back to your secretary and other people, because I'm still in awe of some people when I look at their time management and go, Jesus, you, you achieve a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'll be, maybe this is patting myself on the back I already feel like I can achieve a lot in a day so you give me four hours I can outperform most people to what it would take them six or eight hours to do when I'm focused focus is hard though and if, if I was to say there's one thing I'd love to be extraordinary at it's focus because I get so sidetracked and I think it's just my mind 
Like I, I'll be I'm the same. If I'm working on one thing, it's like it's hard for me not to go. Oh, but this other thing needs done, or when something pops up. So yeah, there's a fine line. I read. Uh, I had always thought up until a couple of years ago that the word overachiever was a good thing, and I've read more recently that it's really not. It's you're taking on more than you can do. You're constantly behind. You're better. You're you're trying to you know, and you do tend to achieve a lot, but not necessarily. Um, within what your realm of what you're good at. An overachiever is actually sometimes a derogatory term. Yeah. Like you're achieving above what your well, capacity or... I, I get what you're saying. I would actually, I'd probably substitute overachiever for multitasker or multitasking. Because I think when someone says to me they're a good multitasker, my first thought is, so you start things and don't finish them. Because... If you're, there's nobody that can give this the dedication to a task that it needs if they're doing something well, they're right. Um, and we're not yeah. wired to do it. We're right. just not right. wired as humans to do it. So I mean, in my current job, you know, mm-hmm. I actually wrote my boss a, uh, a list of things I was failing at. Like these were important things because I needed him to know because my job, by very nature of my job is to multitask. I'm the head of, it's a small school, but security and technology. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm coaching, and it's like in, in a small school, you don't have cast of thousands with all these different directorates. Everybody's wearing multiple hats, so everybody's really busy right now in this you know post-COVID technology and now security intense environment because everything's kind of crazy, you know, and that trickles down to kids and their emotional states. Um, because everything's a little crazy, I I'd had to basically write this thing up to say I'm not multitasking well. I'm failing at X, Y, and Z. And if you're good with that, I'm still doing these other things. But if you're good with me failing at these things, I, I just I just want to make sure that that you that we're both seeing that. And uh, and that's hard because I can't multitask well. Uh, and I'm probably as good at it as as a lot of we'll say average people, <laughs> um, ordinary people, but I, it's still hard. He, we aren't wired that way, but I definitely have a little bit of the squirrel thing going every day. You know, I'm, I'm working on a technology problem and then all of a sudden something happens related to security or safety or disaster response. And then, you know, we get you know an email for this and that, and it's really, really broad broad areas to try and cover and uh mm-hmm. yeah I, then i become very average you know at any one of those tasks yeah and for me i mean i've managed it as best i can i'm pretty sure i would be diagnosed i'm glad i grew up when i grew up or i would have been on ridlin i think i'm adhd <laughs> and, and also with the parents i grew up with because my mom wouldn't have let them put all that stuff in me um adderall and yeah like it's for me it's if i'm interested in it i'm focused if it's a medial a menial task or to use your word mundane i'm like "Mm, does this need to be done now or can i find something that i'm actually interested in or something that is going to progress and do something for me right so i do prioritize tasks i also set time aside for the the menial shit for sure. And it's like, I do it at my least productive point in I'm, the day. I'm absolutely the same yeah. way. Yeah. So I don't do email first thing in the morning. I won't do it. 
I try and avoid pointless calls first thing in the morning I'm like if you want to call with me let's have like I'm just I know in the morning I'm the most productive so that makes sense your your logic makes sense but I get up early and I start going through my emails to make I want to get the mundane off my list like I want to like okay I don't want to have to deal with this Mm -hmm. the rest of the day so I can deal with real problems um, all day long so I start answering emails at 430 you know trying to get everything set up so my day can be the way I want it and I can focus on yeah, and you're obviously in a different environment from me, but for me, it's I'm going to protect the time I'm most productive, and I'm most productive from 7 a.m. until let's say 11:30 or noon. That's when I can truly focus. I don't have the wandering mind, you know. That's when I'm uh, acutely, um, or I'm very aware of how cognizantly, how cognitive. I am at that point versus how much less cognitive I am later in the day. So I'm like, you want a call with me that isn't important? Do it later in the day. You want me to sit and do something that's just really paper pushing and such? I'll do that later in the day because it doesn't require a lot of my my brain power. I want to maintain the brain power for earlier in the day. And frankly, email is such a time suck for me. I feel like every email I send out generates two or three back or okay, I've got to go and do this, I've got to print this, I've got to do this by hand, I've got to use this program for that. And I don't want to be doing that first thing. Mornings for me are, let's schedule the calls, let's do the things that, um, for me, are going to move me in my career and, and the objectives I have, both professionally, personally, all of that forward, right? And, I mean, it starts with the gym. I could go to the gym later in the day. It's so easy to get pulled away from at happy hour cheeseburgers all that stuff is more appealing to me so let's not leave it down to a a chance that i might not do it let's just make it habitual that i get that shit done in the morning i used to not work wake up early at all Mm -hmm. my favorite time to work out if i'm honest is usually around noon i still have a little bit of energy it's a nice break in the day when i was still um out at fairchild that's when i would Mm -hmm. try and go but as i got older it got harder you know, as the, the day wore on and more distractions came up. And it was, I mean, when I was really young, I could work out eight, nine at night. It didn't matter, you know, because I was just driven that way. But as I've gotten older, I've had to manage my own uh, laziness, I guess, knowing that through mm-hmm. as the day went on, I would I would become less and less productive. And uh, so now here I am working out in the morning. And I never thought I would. I never thought I'd see you in there that time in the morning either. I'll be honest, there's times you walk in, you're still half asleep. <laughs> well, there's times I think I've slept, walked, and actually end up back at my apartment, don't even realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we're probably about ready to wrap this up. We're 45 minutes in. So anything you want to finish with on your definition of extraordinary or even what people can do to, to even gauge if they're extraordinary because I think people struggle taking stock of what they do day to day and what they're achieving and like you said we don't want to water this down to where it's like you're extraordinary regardless you're not there's a lot of people that might not listen to this or might listen to this that aren't extraordinary yet but it doesn't mean you can't be if the if you don't want to be extraordinary that's okay though I mean contentment is like I mean that's what like just get out of my way that's what I'll say don't try and stop me 
For sure, but like, you know, enlightenment and, you know, all those other Far Eastern, you know, philosophies trying to seek, seek contentment, that in and of itself can be a quest. But for me, it doesn't work because I have energy to try and do different things. That's why I bought a catamaran and I'm pushing myself to learn to sail on the ocean. That's why I, it was so easy for me to jump back into coaching after I thought I was done coaching soccer to help this small group of kids, half of which had never kicked the ball before, go play um, decent soccer. And actually we're, you know, we're moving through state now, you know, in, in less than eight months of a program. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- I'm not, I'm not saying this makes me extraordinary. These are just, this is how I'm driven. Well, it does, know? but. And, and, in any other area as well. So like even coming and doing this podcast, I'm like, yeah, that interests me. I, th- I think, I think, especially in today's, in today's climate, people need to recognize their su- successes, you know, in a, in this world right now, everything that's being thrown at us is so negative. You know, it's pro- people probably are beat down and feel like, yeah, I'm not extraordinary at anything. I'm just going to hang out at home and, you know, watch the news. You know, how de- how depressing would that be? Whereas I think most people really aren't doing that. I think most people are out there trying to do things, trying to find that next adventure. You know, people could be an extraordinary traveler, right? Let's say you had a little money and you just traveled all over the world. That would be extraordinary, right? Mm-hmm. People could be an extraordinary... I respect artists a lot. I'm not good at art. I can't judge it well. I took an art class in college once, and I I thought it was really cool, but I didn't do very well in it because I don't I don't analyze it correctly. But like, I maybe that's why I res- re- respect art so. I'm much. there with you. I either it like it or I dislike it. It's like I don't want to talk about brush strokes and why it's great. It's just I like that or that sucks. But I think it's a. a most artists are extraordinary in the fact that they put a lot of time into trying to capture something, you know, which is something I, I couldn't do. Um, and then, you know, like, okay, so the guy who built the catamaran I bought um, a couple years ago. He's extraordinary. He is absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> first, first, I mean, the, he would be one to have on a podcast because this guy took seven years. He was a, a, a fireman. Uh, he was a captain, fire captain. And he took all of his down days and built this thing. He had built other boats, but hand built this boat over the course of seven years, then sailed it around the world for 10 years, became, uh, his wife became adopted in this tribe off Vanatu that, uh, because they had helped the tribe so much get books to these kids. And then he, now he's an artist. Um, his name's Dave Howell. Um, he's an artist who does watercolors based off his life experiences. He's my dad's age, so him and my dad became friends, and him and I became friends because of the 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 boat Freebird. And uh, he's an extraordinary person. Like like no one could argue whether or not he's extraordinary. But other sailor, well, I shouldn't say that. Other sailors might say, well, I sailed for mm-hmm. ten years, you know. But again, body of work and the things he's done, and when you look at how he did it. A massively unique person, massively extraordinary. You know, he sand, he sanded every square inch of that boat at least five times, he said. You know, and the thing is just, you know, it was immaculate. And so, yeah, extraordinary people are all over the place. You just may not know. I got one other one that, that's worth editing in at some point. Um, our neighbor was a Vietnam vet up at the lake. 
and we didn't get along with this guy at all. Like he like has some serious PTSD. Like if we fired fireworks, I mean he was over cussing us out and yelling. One time I had the soccer girls up there and he was dropping F-bombs yelling at us. And so you think he's just an, an a-hole, right? Well, he come to find out, you know, did have PTSD and some issues. And so we started, kept talking to him, trying to work with him. And, you know, he, he's certainly squirrely. Um, ha, you know, his issues aren't going to go away. But come to find out, he grew up in the Hawaiian Islands and single-handed sailboats around the islands. Would have never guessed this guy was a sailor because he didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, uh, if you can stereotype a sailor, right? He wasn't Jack Sparrow. He wasn't Jack Sparrow. Yeah, no, <laughs> he was a very angry Jack Sparrow. Um, but he, he, you start to pe- to pull apart someone's life a little bit, and you say, you know, there's probably some pretty extraordinary stuff. Never mind surviving Vietnam, mm-hmm. but the fact that you were sailing around the islands of Hawaii years prior to that by yourself. So I, so I think. If anybody's listening here and they want to be extraordinary, yeah, it takes some energy, but you might even already be there. You know, you you, you may not know. Other people might see you as extraordinary. You could be an extraordinarily patient person that, that is, or an extraordinary, extraordinarily positive person that everybody wants to be around. So there's lots of ways to be extraordinary, um, but not everybody's extraordinary, right? All right. I think I'm good. Sorry. No worries. No, that's good. I think it's it's always fun sharing stories about people that other people might not hear otherwise, right? Like they might not, no, nobody's going to know your neighbor at the lake, but learning that he did remarkable things is, is It cool. also makes you more patient with people. Yeah. Right? Once you know someone's story, you know, and you see the uniqueness of their circumstances, you might be like, that's pretty freaking cool. All right, you can yell at us when we're loud. <laughs> My favorite comedian says this. He says... Don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Because by that point, you're a mile away and nobody gives a shit. So there's a funny take on, on judging people. Yeah, so thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate it as always. If you could rate, review and share, that's the best way for me to get more listenership and for the Apple algorithm and Stitcher and Google and all of them to bump us up a little bit so more people can find us. So yep, rate, review or share or do all three if you haven't done any of them. Uh, Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other.